Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Woo! Everybody, good morning, good morning. Hey, if you are a guest with us today, make sure you also stop by the blue tent and pick up one of these. It's our little uh, coastal guest bag. And if you're watching online, uh, let them know you're a first-time guest. We actually will, uh, you know, when you fill, fill out that Connect card, let us know the online Connect card as well, and uh, we will send you um, a little gift in the mail. But if you're here in person, uh, which we do have a good little crowd here with us today, um, make sure you pick up the uh, guest bag uh, on your way out today. We would love to give that to you. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Great to be here today again. For those of you who are in person, great to see everyone. Hope you've had a great week. It's a little hot here in Charleston, isn't it, this week? Woo, it's hot. Hey, it's August. It's hot. That's what it does here uh, in Charleston. And uh, guess what? Hurricane season's here. Woo! Like we all knew that was going to happen, right? Uh, for those of you who are online, again, thank you so much for tuning in and joining with us today. Uh, we are kicking off a new, a, a favorite a new series today. It's basically a favorite summer series sermon tradition. I, I, I say that fast three times, see if you can do that. Um, here at Coastal, uh, it's called Summer Reading. Summer Reading. Raise your hand in the, in the building if you consider yourself to be a reader. Anybody a reader? Okay, online, we have a lot of readers here today. Online, if you're a reader, let us know and uh, give me a, a book recommendation. I'd love to see that. I am a reader. I love to read, always looking for good books. By the way, I don't read nonfiction. Don't, don't recommend nonfiction to me. I have a hard time reading that. My life feels like nonfiction. No. Um, so, but I love a good fiction book. So let me know what you got. And um, I would love, uh, am I saying that right? Non, you know, nonfiction is what? That's uh, real. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. I like nonfiction. That's what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> don't care. I don't like fake books. I like real, but leadership, you know, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, um, so let me explain the idea for the series, though, since I have no idea what I even read, um, and how it works. Here, here's how it works. Basically, our pastors and staff uh, pick out books, uh, you know, for, for whatever the length of the series is. This, this year, the series is seven weeks long, so we've chosen seven books that we believe are worth reading. They're worthwhile, you know, for you to sit down and to read them, and uh, so we provide the book list early on, and we did that. Uh, we've had the book list out there for at least six weeks, I think, or so, and, um, and we even provide a small number of those books in-house uh, for you to pick up as you're here if you want to get them at a little discounted rate, but everybody, obviously, can pick them up uh, online. Now, Obviously, Pastor Chris and our staff, we're not preaching from the books themselves, okay? Don't worry about that. I've not gone heretical, you know, save your little emails, simmer down. That's not what we're doing. We don't do that here at Coastal. But we are using the subject matter of each one of these books as the subject matter for that particular Sunday's uh, sermon, for the message. And then we're going to do what we always do here at Coastal. We're going to Point people to Jesus and dig into God's Word. And uh, so I hope you'll read these books uh, uh, this summer uh, because, after all, leaders are readers. You remembered. Very good. Um, so today's book um, is a first for us. It is a children's book. We've never picked a children's book before uh, to read. It's the book Different by Chris Singleton. And uh, as many of you know, uh, Chris's mom, Sharonda Coleman Singleton, uh, was murdered along with eight other victims at the Mother Emanuel AME Church here in Charleston uh, on June 17th, 2015, 
by Dylan Roof. And uh, Chris came and spoke at our church earlier this summer, did a great job, and uh, talked about uh, the need for forgiveness and love in the midst of uh, racism, and really did a phenomenal job. Well, he wrote a children's book, and uh, we believe in the message of this book so much that we decided to buy a copy for every family uh, from Coastal. And we've had those uh, available for the last uh, probably month or so, giving them to people uh, in person. And uh, then if you're, if you're watching online, for some reason you can't, uh, uh, come to service right now, or you can't, uh, or you can come by during office hours, by the way, and pick them up. We have a lot of people have been doing that uh, Monday through Thursday, like around 8.30 to 4, um, and then Friday from um, 9 to 12. Uh, but for some reason, you can't pick them up either in person or during office hours. We'll even mail one to you. So leave us a comment, and uh, we'd love to follow up with that. Uh, but we also did this. This is really cool. This is because of uh, your generosity. We also decided to provide a uh, a copy of the book uh, for every teacher uh, over at Oakland Elementary School, and those got mailed out uh, this past week. So very exciting. I'm very, very, I feel very honored about that, that that's the kind of church uh, that we are. So the book basically, I'm not going to give the whole book away to you, but the book uh, follows the life of Obina. Uh, on his first day of a, at a new school in a new country. And uh, Obina is different. Uh, his clothing, his dashiki is different. His hair is different. His speech is different. And uh, his classmates won't let him forget that. But through the wise and loving words of his teacher and the unexpected chance uh, to show his talents, uh, Obina ends up teaching those around him that being different isn't just okay, it's something that you can accept uh, and celebrate. But here's the really cool thing that I want to tie into this morning. The subtitle of the book is A Story About Loving Your Neighbor. A Story About Loving Your Neighbor. Well, guess what? The greatest teacher who ever lived, Jesus, once told a story about loving your neighbor. In fact, it's probably the, his second most famous story that he ever told. And uh, that's what I want us to talk about today, loving your neighbor. And we're going to look at the story that Jesus told. Now, let me give you the background for what's happening, kind of set up the, the context of this story uh, in Jesus' life at this point. Okay, So up until this point... Jesus basically has been traveling around speaking, and his fame has been spreading, okay? Everywhere he goes, a crowd begins forming. People are so excited and anxious to kind of hear what Jesus is going to say and to see what Jesus is going to do. There's just something different about him, different about his message, different about you know, him as a person and what he does. They've never, in fact, heard teaching like this before. You see, their whole life, basically, they had heard that God loves you based on how good you are. Okay, that it's all about, you know, keeping the rules. And that's the basis in which God loves you. Now, guess what? Not a lot has changed in 2,000 years, has it? We actually still have churches today filled with people who simply believe that they're Christians because of the rules that they keep. Now, what are some of those rules? Well, you've probably heard them. You know, like, go to church, right? Now, nothing wrong with going to church, except going to church doesn't make you a Christian in and of itself any more than going to Chick-fil-A makes you a chicken sandwich. 
Okay, now, but everybody knows good Christians go to Chick-fil-A, right? I mean, that's, that's got to be another one of those rules. Um, but, you know, there's other rules, you know, that you probably grew up with. You know, no drinking, no swearing, no premarital sex. You know, don't go to certain movies. Don't listen to certain music. Don't hang out with certain people. You know, many of you grew up in churches just like that. And then, as soon as you could, as soon as you were old enough, you decided to walk away from that, to leave churches like that, and basically, say, you know what, this isn't for me. I mean, because there's no way that I, can, that I can keep all these rules. Well, in Jesus' day, there was a group of spiritual leaders called the Pharisees who basically were experts at adding rules upon rules upon rules upon rules. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up, and he's basically telling people, hey, guess what? It's not about a system of rules, It's about a love relationship, a personal love relationship with your heavenly Father. And so it's within that context that one of these religious teachers wants to ask Jesus a question. Now, he's not really looking for an answer as much as he is trying to trip up Jesus and trap him. Luke 10, beginning in verse 25. On one occasion... An expert in the law. Now stop there just for a second. Maybe, uh, depending on the translation that you're reading today, it might say uh, a lawyer. Now, what he's talking about here, what he's referring to, is an expert in the Pentateuch. Okay, the Pentateuch is, is the first five books of the Old Testament. Okay, the first five books of the Old Testament. So this guy is an expert in the religious law. And so it says, he stood up to test Jesus. Now again, he had no desire to acquire any kind of you know, truth for his own life. Again, he just wants to, to trip Jesus up. He says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, all this religious leader has ever known is salvation by the works you do. That's all he's understood. His whole life, basically, he had heard that God loves you based on how good you are. That it's all about keeping rules, okay? So he asked, what is it that I have to do to inherit this eternal life, you know, that I've been hearing you talk about? Which is kind of a crazy question when you think about it, right? Because now, parents, don't tell your kids this, but inheritance is not based on what you do anyway, is it? It's not supposed to be, right? It's based on whose you are, right? The family that you've been born into. You don't do something to inherit something. And similarly, salvation isn't based on what you do. It's based on whose you are. The family that you've been born into, or more accurately, the family that you've been born again into. But it is a great question, isn't it? Man, I want to challenge everybody today, everybody watching this, everybody in, in, in the building, you know, wrestle with this question. If you've never wrestled with it before, wrestle with it today. Ask yourself, okay, God, what do I have to do to get to heaven? What do I have to do to, to receive eternal life? I mean, that, that's, that should be a pretty big deal, right? I mean, if there is a question that you want to get right, this is the one. What do I have to do to receive eternal life? Now, Jesus puts it right back 
in this guy's lap. I mean, right back in his court, and he asked him a question. Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And, you know, you can just see the, the, you know, the gears turning in this guy's head. He's like, aha, I know the answer. I've studied this my entire life. Look what he says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this guy's thinking, ha ha, I got it. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's right. You got it. You answered correctly. Ding, 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 ding. Let's show the man what he's won, right? Do this, he says, and you will live. Now, let me clarify something. Jesus is not advocating salvation by works here. That really just the opposite. He's trying to do heart surgery on a guy who thinks that he can earn his way into heaven. And he wants to show this guy just how far off he really is. In other words, Jesus is saying, okay, sure. If you can love God perfectly, with all your heart, I mean pure motives, perfectly, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and if you always love your neighbor, heaven is all yours. Come on in. You've earned it. You you deserve it. But if you ever mess that up just one time, because, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, in baseball, if you, you know, you strike out just once, you mess up just once, you no longer bat a thousand, right? Well, guess what? Heaven is a perfect place, and the only people who get to go there based on their own goodness and their works are those who are perfect. So you mess that up just one time. You never bat a thousand. You need a savior. Luke 10, 29. The lawyer asked another question. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, well, Who is my neighbor? Oh, now, now he's acting like all the lawyers that we know and love. My apologies to the lawyers here today, those who are watching this. But uh, he's trying to get, you know, this is so funny, as narrow and as precise a definition of the word neighbor that he can from Jesus. You see, the Jews had interpreted the word neighbor not only as one who is near, but somebody who's just like you are. Okay? Same race, same religion, same social standing. And if they weren't, then basically you were off the hook. You didn't have to love them. And so this, la- this lawyer, like I guess most lawyers, is looking for a loophole. He actually wants to know, like, how little I can get away with. Listen. The story that Jesus is about to tell is not just about helping those in need. Okay, although there's some great application there about that. But it's also about excuses. It's about self-justification. See, the lawyer's problem is your problem. It's my problem. Collectively, it's our problem. Right? We want to justify our lack of compassion and excuse ourselves from helping the world around us, other people. 
You know, as we say here at Coastal, wherever you live, work, parent, or play, your circle, your sphere of influence, we want to justify ourselves, excuse ourselves. We'll say things like, well, you know, it's just too dangerous. It's too involved. It's going to take too much time, too much effort, energy, or money. And in the end, I think the point that Jesus is making here and that Scripture makes is that we are no different than this self-righteous lawyer. We need a Savior. So let's look at the story that Jesus tells about loving your neighbor, and let's make some points along the way. Point number one, followers of Jesus, they see like Jesus sees. Followers of Jesus see like Jesus sees. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Wow. How many of you know that's a bad day? I mean, he's having a bad day. First, he's traveling, you know, to Jericho. Now, you need to know it says going down to Jericho. Going down from Jerusalem to Jericho is actually literally exactly that. You're going down, about a 3,000-foot elevation drop, very desolate, rocky country. It is well known as a haven for thieves and robbers. In fact, this little uh, 17-mile stretch of, of traveling, a little distance here, this road, it is well known as the way of blood, the way of blood. Sounds like a Quentin Tarantino movie, doesn't it? The way of blood, right? You, you would want to avoid this. Well, some guys attack you. You know, you're, you're stripped naked, thrown in the ditch, left for dead. Not a good day. He basically is broke down on the side of the road. Anybody here? Raise your hand online. You ever uh, been broke down on the side of the road? Anybody broken down? How about this? Raise your hand or leave us a comment if you have ever run out of gas, literally, run out of gas. Okay, mental note, do not ride with, okay, all of you. You run out of gas. It's got a little, little indicator there anyway. Um, but think about this for a second. When you're the one broke down, it changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, it changes your perspective. Because when you're not broke down, when you're not that guy on the side of the road, everybody on the side of the road broken down, they look like a hassle, don't they? I mean, they look dangerous. They look like somebody you ought to avoid. But when the tables are turned and you're the one broke down, you're like anybody. Uh, this past week, I was riding my bike, West Ashley. I was, I was uh, riding my bike right there. You know, I was coming down uh, Ashley River Road, turning onto. Um, uh, Beast Ferry, and uh, my shoelace got tied up in my spoke, and, and it got tighter and tighter and tighter, and I couldn't pedal anymore. And then, I, you know, I had knee surgery on this knee, but it was on this leg that I'd gotten, you know, that was tied up. And so I just kind of like slowed to a, almost a dead stop, and then I went, and I just fell over. <laughs> it was like the worst. And like, and guess when it happened? It happened between like 5.30 and 6 o'clock. And so like all the traffic is backed up right there, getting ready to turn. And I'm just like, just like waving everybody. Nobody stopped. Nobody offered to help. One guy rolled down his window. He's like, hey, mister, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm good. Just bruised ego. Keep going. You know, don't look. Look away. But anyway, when you're not the one, you know, it changes your perspective. Now, Here's what I want you to hear loud and clear today. There are people in this room, there are many of you watching online, and you got friends and family and neighbors and coworkers, and this is their story. But here's the real truth, the real kicker. This is our story. 
I mean, for many of you, you're right in the thick of it right now. You, you walked into or you got caught up in some sort of downward spiral in your life and basically you feel like you've been left for dead on the side of the road. Just pleading for somebody to help. So this guy is broke down. He's waiting for somebody, anybody. And the Bible says that a priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man and he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. This guy can't win for losing. Second observation. It's not that others can't see it. They choose not to. They choose not to. They don't look at it. You see, if we are going to love our neighbor, all people, where we live, work, and play, people in our, in our community, in our world, if we're going to love our neighbor, then we've got to be able to see the needs that are around us. The reality is sometimes, though, we get so focused on our own destination, on our own journey, that we forget about people along the way. I can remember, uh, you know, my much younger days when uh, we were traveling, you know, maybe going on vacation with our kids or, or maybe back in the day when me and Miss Janet, you know, we were the ones driving the, you know, the van for the students somewhere and, the, you know, maybe my own kid or some student in the youth group would say, hey, Pastor Chris, can we stop? Like, no, we can't stop. We got places to go. That's why we said go to the bathroom before we left. You know, I've got a speed record to break, you know, right? How many of you drive like that? You know, you, you're, you're focused. Well, The reality is, maybe, I mean, we really don't know what was going on with these two religious guys, right? Maybe they were trying to break a speed record, you know? But whatever it was, they didn't see the need. And we've got to ask God to help us to see people and to see circumstances the way they did, the way he does. You know, be this beat-up guy for a moment. Just for a moment, think about his life from his perspective. Everything's been taken away from him. He's been humiliated, he's been beat up, he's broken, he's bleeding, money gone, naked, he's lying on the side of the road. Probably got broken bones. You know, maybe an eye swollen shut, the other one barely open. And then somebody from the distance is coming. He can see them, barely. He's thinking to himself, oh, this is great. Finally, help is on the way. You know, yes, there is a God. And as the guy gets closer and closer, he sees that it's a priest, you know, a pastor. And he's thinking to himself, yes, if there's anybody who's going to stop and help me, this is the guy. But as the priest gets closer and closer and closer, he sees that this man looks at him and he just keeps on going. And can't you imagine the guy on the side of the road, you know, with with all the voice that he can muster, like, no, wait, you know, don't leave me, come back. He's got to be thinking, man, there goes my my one and only opportunity. I'm going to die right here. But then somebody else comes along. And he realizes it's, it's a Levite. And one translation says a temple assistant. So, and, you know, think about this. Maybe, you know, maybe the priest was in a hurry, so he phoned back to his uh, you know, associate pastor and said, hey, there's a dude over here that needs help. You stop and help the guy. I'm busy, right? But either way, you know, the guy on the side of the road has got to be thinking, yes, okay, finally, somebody's going to help me out. But the Bible says the Levite does the exact same thing. And, you know, I'm sure, I I picture it in my mind going like this. He walks by and he's like, dude, that sucks. You know, like, wow, that must hurt. You know, and he just keeps on walking. 
He passes by on the other side. And so maybe the guy in the ditch is thinking, okay, you know, I didn't really think this is how my story was going to end, but I guess I'm dying in a ditch. But a third guy comes along, and his response is different. He doesn't just see, you know, this guy is somebody lying there, beaten up. He sees a person. He sees need. He sees as Jesus would. Now, again, maybe there's some other factors going on here. I mean, you know, maybe... You know, they're afraid for their safety again. You know, this was a well-known travel area for thieves and robbers. Maybe they're concerned about, you know, keeping the letter of the law, you know, because they weren't even allowed to, you know, touch a dead body. But whatever the reason, this is what I want you to hear loud and clear today. These religious men saw this man simply as a problem for them to avoid. So their attitude was one of, hey, I'm an important person, I'm doing important things, I'm in a hurry, i got places to go, people to see, and this right now in my life is nothing more than an inconvenience interruption. They were selfish and self-centered. And what's worse is that they were actually doing it in the name of their religion. So here's the question for all of us today, as far as loving our neighbor. Do you see the people in your life? And you know, by the way, it's really easy just to look at the story and go, well, this is just about, you know, whether or not I'm going to stop or give some money to people, you know, panhandlers or people on the side of the road. No, 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 no. I think it's much bigger than that. Like, you know, sometimes I think that just gets us off the hook. What I'm saying is, do you see the hurting people in your life all around you as problems to be avoided? Are there times when we choose to close our eyes to the pain and the suffering and the hurt and need all around us and just walk past on the other side? Because if we were to stop and to do something, you know, we'll have to give up something. It'll cost us something, right? You know, our time, our resources, our convenience. Coastal, listen to me for a second. I want our church to be known as the place that doesn't run away from the hurting. We run to them, okay? We, we don't tell people that, you know, hey, guess what? You gotta clean your act up before you come to us. You gotta get yourself together, your act together before you show up here, before you're welcome. No, no, because as followers of Jesus, we are to run to the problem. We are to run to the hurting in our community. We don't pass by on the other side. Well, at this point in the story, I think some of the people that were listening to Jesus tell this story to them, to the, to the attorney, to the lawyer, and to us, I think some of the people who were around at that day, they're thinking to themselves, aha, you see, the third guy, he's always the main character. Now, in a lot of Jesus' stories, by the way, that, that, that seems to be the case. And so I bet they're thinking to themselves, yeah, that's right. You tell him, Jesus. You tell him who this third guy is. He's gonna, we, we know what you're going to say. He's just going to be like one of us. Right? He's going to be a regular, blue-collar, ordinary Israelite, just like us, non-clergy. Yeah, non-priest. You're going to talk about him stopping by, and, and uh, he's going to be the hero. And then Jesus goes, but a Samaritan. <gasps> he shocks them all. You see, to the listeners that day, a Samaritan was the last guy 
they think that he would use in a story like this. Because he'd be the last guy to stop. You see, there was deep, deep racial and religious hatred. That I mean, you think it's bad today. You think what you're seeing in social media and the news might be bad. No, no, no. It was terrible then. This is centuries and centuries of, of hatred that's been you know, brought up from, uh, from their heritage. The Jews looked at themselves as the pure ancestors from Abraham. They looked at Samaritans as nothing more than religious half-breeds. They called them dogs, people who had defiled the name of God, defiled their ancestry. They would have nothing to do with them. And they lived right there in a neighboring country, but they were not considered to be their neighbors. And Jesus said, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was and saw him, he took pity on him. Now, the word there in scripture for pity is a very interesting Greek word. It's the word splotna. Everybody say that with me out loud. Splotna. Okay, you got to say it better than that. Come on. Splotna. Okay? It kind of sounds like you stuck your finger down your throat and splotnud all over the place, right? Well, believe it or not, that's kind of the idea of this word, that it, it comes from your gut. It means that deep, heartfelt compassion, that churning in your body that where, where something moves you to the point where that compassion just can't stay on the inside anymore. And that's the kind of mercy and pity that the Samaritan man had on this guy, this, this splotna, this churning in his gut that moved him from one side of the road to the other side of the road, and he got his hands and, and, and his feet and his, and his wallet. I mean, it got up all in him. That's what splotna is. It is mercy and compassion moved into action. And that's exactly what loving our neighbor requires. Number three. Followers of Jesus do what Jesus would do. I know it sounds like a, you know, a wrist, a wristband, but it's true. Followers of Jesus do what Jesus would do. Verse 34, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So he personally went to the guy, bandaged his wounds, Loving your neighbor, listen to me, Coastal, loving your neighbor is being willing to get off your donkey and go help somebody. Now, do I need to go King James Version on you this morning? Get off your donkey. Get off your blessed assurance and help people. And you see, rather than just assuming, well, somebody else will come along. He goes over and he begins to treat this man. Now, unless you're a doctor, you know, he probably, you know, didn't have any bandages with him, so what would he have to do? He probably bandages this guy with, you know, maybe his own shirt or his own material that he had. He poured on oil and wine, which was in the Jewish and Greek culture, used for medicinal purposes, and then he puts the man on his own donkey, which means the Samaritan had to walk. He gave up his ride so that he could walk to the place where he takes him. It didn't, it didn't say that he just passed him off to somebody else. He personally got involved, and he takes care of this guy. Number four, loving our neighbor requires a sacrifice of money and time. There's no way around this. No way around it. If, if we as a church, if, if you as an individual, if we are going to commit ourselves to helping people in need, to loving our neighbor in practical ways, to reach out to our community, and to the world, 
It will consume some of our resources, our money and our time. But the last I checked, my Bible teaches that they're not yours anyway. It all comes from God. He gives them to you. He loans them to you so that you could leverage them for his kingdom and for the world. It says, the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. A denarius was a full day's wage. So he gives this innkeeper uh, two days full, full wages um, to take care of this guy. And so again, no matter how you slice this story, he didn't just do the minimum here. He sacrifices. He gives of himself to a guy that he just met. And, and, and again, look what it says. Look after him, and when I return, I'll reimburse you. In other words, just put it on my tab, and when I come back through, I'll pay it off. And then, Jesus wraps up the story, and he looks this lawyer in the eye, and he says, so, which one of these uh, three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, well, you know, I, I guess obviously it wasn't the two religious guys. You know, they just kept the letter of the law. It was the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus looks him in the eye and says, there's your answer. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Coastal, God has placed people all around us to whom we are called to serve and minister, and help people who need us. Man, this, that's what this church is known for, by the way. Man, I'm telling you, I'm getting more and more tired of seeing people argue and complain and post nonsense on social media about how bad the world is, and then they won't get their hands dirty and lift a finger and do anything to serve and to love our community all around us. Listen, that's what we did yesterday here at Coastal, Saturday Serve, first Saturday of every month, every month. We've been doing this for like three and a half years. We just come together and then we send people out, feed people, help people, serve people. That's mercy. That's compassion. That's making an impact. Are, are we willing to let our lives intersect with people who are in need, people who are hurting? Are we willing to love them with the love of Jesus and serve them just because they are in need? That's what it means to be a Samaritan. That's what it means to love your neighbor. You see, the church is not supposed to be a place for perfect people. This is a hospital for hurting people. This is an emergency room. This is a place where those people who, who feel like they're beat up and broken down and laying on the side of the road can come and find help and, and, and hope. And let me, let me just tell you something. If you're here today, you're in this room, you're watching online, and you don't feel like you have ever been broken down in need of help or hope, or if you feel like, you know, that, you know, you just don't, you're, you're better than those people. Listen to me. You have forgotten who you are. You have forgotten who God is. And it's quite probable that you're not saved. That you're the same guy right here in this story that thinks he can just be good enough. You know, he can just be a good person and work his way into heaven. 
And if you find yourself here today thinking, you know what, but Pastor Chris, I don't deserve here to be here. I am messed up. And, and if everybody, you know, if they knew the real me, if they knew where I'd been and what I've done, and, and, and you know, they'd ask me, you'd ask me to leave. No, we wouldn't. Listen, here is the deal. We are all messed up. And we know it, and we just love you anyway. We love people, all people. Don't you see that Jesus himself is actually the good Samaritan in this story? Don't you see that we, we are the man on the side of the road? Because when Jesus saw us beaten, stripped, robbed by the power of sin and death, he did not stay up on his heavenly throne or just kind of swoop down by the other side and go back up into heaven. No, he came, he became one of us. He lived among us. He made time for us. He healed the sick. He strengthened the weak. He encouraged those without hope. And then, listen to this, in order to heal us completely, he took a beating the likes of what you and I could hardly fathom, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. And from his death, burial, and then his resurrection that was witnessed by hundreds of people, that was recorded in human history, he brought us life. Life. Now, let's put the rubber to the road. Think about the people that you come across every single day. And listen to me. We're seeing more and more of these people all around us. If you will just open your eyes and ask God to help you see people the way he does. They're here. They're there. Will you stop for them? Where you live, work, parent, and play in our community, in your neighborhood. Listen, I believe there are people in our world who are just like this, because we're, we were just like this, beaten and broken and hurting. Will you be their neighbor? Will you stop and care? Now, let me, let me say this. I'll close with this. If you can always do that perfectly, with pure motives, and love God completely, and love people perfectly. Congratulations. You've just earned your way into heaven. You did it. You've earned it. But if you can't, if you've ever failed just one time, if you've ever made any mistakes, then just like me, you need a Savior. You need a Savior. And one has been provided. His name is Jesus. Listen, he's waiting on you today to come home. He's waiting on you now to call out to him. The Bible says, and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He's waiting with open arms. In fact, if you'll take that step of faith toward him, the Bible says he will run to you. He'll run to you. Are you ready to come home? Are you ready to become his forever child? You can do it right here and right now. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story that Jesus told to this, this lawyer about the Good Samaritan, about what it really means to love your neighbor, about what it means to, um, to love the world around us. This idea that we can't earn our way, we can't we can't work our way into heaven. We're going to make mistakes. We all have. We all have. And listen, again, if you are here today, if you're watching this online, if you're ready to just simply admit that, 
Just pour out your heart to God right here and right now and say, God, I have blown it. I have. I've not always loved you perfectly. I've not always loved the world around me completely. Today, I humbly admit that. And I turn away from my way and I turn toward Jesus today. I turn toward your way. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, come to him now and just say, Father, I believe, I believe that. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he came to this earth, he lived the perfect life so that he could be the perfect substitute for me and my sin, the perfect payment. And so he went to the cross He was crucified for me. My sin put him on that cross. But then, after they laid him in that tomb, three days later, he rose back from the dead. He came to life. I believe that, God. I believe that he is alive. He proved his power over sin and death. And as much as I know how, as much as I understand today, I put my faith and my trust in him and him alone. And for the rest of my life, until I see you face to face, I just want to follow Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you. And God, I pray for our church. May we be the church that you've called us. May we be that church that runs to the hurting, those who need help, those who uh, need the love of Christ. May we run to the world around us and give them help and hope. I pray this today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.